Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. <laughs> I'm going to go live. I'm going to do the intro and we will be right back. Wait a minute. Well, we're waiting. <laughs> it's time Usually the, the YouTube thing pops up at the same time. Anyway, we're here. Where'd Lou go now? He's gone again? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Welcome to Rat Salad Review. <laughs> this happens all the time. I know, but it's Zoom. Definitely. You know what? Zoom Zoom is garbage. I, I hate Zoom. And it sucks that you, you pay for it. And this is the things that happen. Oh, he's back now. There okay? he's, He doesn't look like he's having a good time over there. It's, something's going on. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, yeah. today we're here with uh, Steve Rosen, the author for the book, Tone Chaser, Understanding Edward, uh, my 26-year journey with Edward Van Halen. Welcome to the show, Steve Rosen. Hey, Wayne. How's it going? It's, it's going very good. Uh, and I, I've, been cool, man. Reading this, I've been reading this book for the last few days and uh, a lot of stuff I, I haven't, I didn't really know about because uh, I, I just never heard a lot of these stories, so it, it was very interesting to hear a lot of the stuff that uh, was going on during the whole time you were friends with uh, Edward Van Halen. And uh, it, it's just crazy because, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Eddie, Eddie Van Halen. Lou is a huge fan. He's he's a guitar player. He's wearing an Eddie Van Halen shirt right there. And uh, well, not an official one, not an official one, but yeah, but uh, but he's a, he's a huge <laughs> fan. And uh, yeah, it's it's a really great book. So people, this is actually the second edition, right? The, when That's the first edition. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I began writing the book. Uh, I keep getting my dates mixed up. Uh, September, um, uh, I'm sorry, August 24th, 2020, um, which was just a, a month or so uh, prior to Edward's passing, and um, uh, came out with that first edition. Uh, what was it? 15 or 16 months later, sold mm. that out. And I uh, have been on the second edition now for mm, three, four months. And uh, yeah, it's been amazing, man. It's been really um, fulfilling. I mean, uh, uh, a shit ton of work, but, you know, um, uh, worth every minute of it, to be honest with you. Very cool. And the book is available on Amazon. So go pick up a copy after you watch this episode because it's totally worth the read. And we'll post the link in the description. Thanks very much. And, and Lou, if I could just fill in some of those codes what's on Amazon, eBay, Reverb, and Etsy, 
and my own uh, uh, webpage, uh, which is tonechaserbook.com. Everybody got that? Good. Go <laughs> and if we don't, it will still be in the description. Um, are you? Do you go on any tours, like the the book signings or anything, or anything you know? I mean, I'm, coming up? I'm, yeah, man, I'm 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 hoping to put those together. There's there's nothing on the book. Um, I I've, I've done a couple. Um, there's a there's a pretty famous independent bookstore out here uh, on Sunset Boulevard. In fact, it's literally a half a mile away from the whiskey called Book Soup. And um, David, amazing, and, and and I did a signing there, and uh, they've had my book there. And in fact, I was like number two on the nonfiction bestseller list, you know, oh, for wow. weeks, and they've made multiple orders. So that's pretty cool. I would love to do book tours, man. I, I think sitting down in front of people, and you know, they they've read the book, or you know, they have you know questions. I mean, I I, I really love that stuff. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so hopefully there's more to come for sure. Yeah, very cool. Uh, now, has anybody in the family actually read your book and the, or given you <laughs> any feedback about it? <laughs> what a good question. <laughs> My brother, Mick, has read the book. Mick uh, was actually there uh, the very first night I met Edward, which was June 1977 at the Whiskey. Cheap Trick was recording a live record. Not not Budokan, of course. Uh, uh, some like promo, uh, you know, live record for for the label. And um, Mick was there that night, and, and and I I make him famous. I mention his name in the book. And uh, yeah, he uh, he read the book. Uh, my brother is my harshest critic. He yeah. holds me to a higher level. He's uh, he's a little too smart for his own good. But um, yeah, no, he, he he really loved the book and. Um, you know, said some very nice things and pointed things out. And I go, okay, Mick, you know, just, just tell me how much you like the book. No, I, <laughs> I shouldn't say, you know, he was, he was very supportive uh, of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. I, and, and did that bastard teacher of yours read this book? <laughs> like I'm reading a book and, and that teacher that you had, I told you couldn't write anything. I mean, God. <laughs> but you know nice. what, man? Nice tip I'm, of the hat with the long run on sentence. That was awesome. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's funny, man, because as I was writing that little section, yeah, I was getting out all my vitriol on this freaking dickhead. But, um, <laughs> you know, I just kept writing. I thought, oh, I'm going to write this as a run on sentence. You know, I never really was that smart to think ahead and do that. But, you know, I mean, I, I'm, Look, I, I would wish nothing bad on the guy. I hope he's read the book. I mean, he wasn't that much older than the students in the room, you know. So right. well, he's probably still around. Yeah, I hope he's read it. And if I could have remembered his name, I may have even abused his name and the whole thing. But yeah, you know, things happen for a reason or so they say. Um, uh, we'll just call yeah. him Niedermeyer for short. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Too funny. All right, go ahead, Lou. I, I cut you off there, so go ahead. Um. So first of all, again, thanks for coming on to Ratsai Review on this live stream with us, and you know, granting us this opportunity to interview you. Um. Wayne and I read the book, and you know, to call it an emotional roller coaster is a bit of an understatement. Um. But I kind of want to know more about you as well. Like you mentioned in the book that you were a freelance writer for Guitar Magazines before you met Eddie. And I guess my question is, as a guitar player, like I know what drove me towards guitar, 
But what was it that brought you towards writing about the instrument and the guitarists that were making names for themselves at the time? Really, that was all born from the fact that I played guitar and I was not a great guitar player, but but my my greatest desire was to be in a, a guitar player in a rock and roll band. Uh, you know, I wanted to be a songwriter. I wanted to be, you know, play guitar. Um, so um, as a as a way i thought to maybe um break into that into that place where you know you'd be meeting publicists and managers and labels um and it's not the only reason but i thought you know well maybe if i start writing about guitar players and i'm i'm writing for magazines i'm i'm now in that same space as them and maybe i'm you know in a room one day with uh you know, well, Peter Frampton, and I give Peter Frampton my my little cassette with my songs on it, and he loves my songs, and, uh, you know, I get to go on the road with Peter Frampton and his band, you know, that never happened. <laughs> um, you know, it's one of those things where it's almost the closer I got to these guys, and I was meeting these amazing guitar players every day, and hanging out at the labels and the management companies, it's like they only saw you as a, as a journalist, and well, yeah, you play guitar and you write songs. Well, that's great. Then why are you in here interviewing our bands and not out there playing? You know, it's one of those things. It's like if you, those who can't teach, which is not necessarily true, but um, in, in, in a more direct answer to you, Lou, I mean, I was an avid reader. I mean, I loved reading. Um, I was reading those early issues of, of Guitar Player before I started writing for them. Um, uh, I, I had a big record collection before I became a, a journalist. I mean, I was listening to all kinds of guitar players. Um, I was playing guitar, and it it just seemed like a like a cool thing to do. I started writing for a high school newspaper, and um, I would like go to clubs and I was reviewing shows at the Whiskey and uh, a lot of clubs that are gone now. Uh, Golden Bear, uh, the Ice House out in Pasadena, which probably wasn't too far from where Edward lived. Um, so yeah, so I began uh, probably mid '73. Uh, I started writing. And by the time I met Edward in 77, yes, I had, I had written for Guitar Player. I think I'd done some things for Cream and Circus. Um, you know, and I'd met a lot of heavy guys before uh, meeting Ed. Um, I'd met Blackmore right before I met Edward. Uh, I'd interviewed John McLaughlin and Joe Walsh, uh, John Etwistle. I mean, I'd done a, a bunch of, of amazing interviews um, uh, before meeting Ed. So, yeah, I just... I wanted to be a writer, I suppose, and, and writing about music and guitar players, I couldn't think of anything uh, more unbelievable to do than that. So, You're on mute or something. Your word is not working. There you go. I only wish I was around at the time that I could have read these because I was born the year Women and Children first came out. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, you mentioned Blackmore. Him, personally speaking, um, Eddie, uh, Tony Iommi, Randy Rhodes, and Blackmore, that's my Mount Rushmore. Uh, guitar uh-huh. players so those are the guys that i studied but uh bring it back to the time up until you met eddie so we're talking california in the 1970s yeah. you know like you mentioned the whiskey a go-go gazari starwood you know rock music was filling out clubs theaters and arenas local bands with like quiet riot with randy rhodes and y&t with dave and you have the runaways and uh you know it's a far cry from today's musical climate where there are no venues or original bands anymore, uh, except exactly. Severed Angel, severedangel.com, buy our stuff, thank you. <laughs> um, 
you know, on an international level, you had UFO with Michael Schenker, who personally, I think that if Eddie didn't show up, he might have been the guitarist of the 80s that we might be talking about. But that's a different story. Um, can you go into a time warp of what the musical and life music climate was like for people that have only heard of it but never experienced it? Yeah, you know, I mean, you bring up an interesting point. It, it was pretty eclectic back then. So, you know, Van Halen are coming out of the, um, you know, they're a Pasadena band. They never considered themselves a Hollywood band, uh, you know, but ultimately they, they grew out of Pasadena playing those now infamous backyard parties, putting on their own shows at the Pasadena Civic and, and uh, uh, you know, drawing in 3,000 people. Um, they were ultimately, which is where most bands ended up if they were going to go anywhere, was, was on the strip. So you were playing the Whiskey and the Starwood um, uh, you, you know, uh, you started Kazaris and bounced down to, to the whiskey if you were good enough. Um, but they were coming right out of that big punk thing, you know, which I, 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 I honestly, I, I just never got it. I never liked it. Um, um, but yeah, you know, you had a, you had a, a lot of good guitar players that were around them. Um, you know, uh, you know, George Lynch and Warren Demartini and, uh, you know, Rusty Anderson, who is now Paul McCartney's guitar player, um, you know, they were all playing in sort of, you know, pre-Rat, pre-Dockin' uh, um, bands. Um, yeah, I mean, I was at the Whiskey, I mean, I was seeing all kinds of stuff there. Uh, you know, uh, Dr. Hook and uh, Black Kangaroo, um, you know, the punk stuff I avoided, I was invited to that stuff, I just, I just never saw it. Um, but it was, it was pretty amazing. It was a pretty amazing thing. And when Ben Halen were signed and they landed their big Warner Brother, Brothers contract, that sort of told all these other strip bands, oh my gosh, those guys did it, maybe we can do it. You know, Ed, uh, Ben Halen really opened the door for all of that. Um, but there was a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, Michael Schenker, I think UFO, uh, were around, um, amazing guitar player. You know, I'd interviewed him, incredible guitar player. Um, uh, yeah, it was a pretty amazing scene. And, and, and it was a scene, um, for sure. Um, uh, you know, like I said, I was at the Whiskey four or five times a week. You know, I was at the Starwood Y&T. Um, you know, Y&T was there famously the night when uh, Ted and Mo Austin, Ted Templeman and Mo Austin from Warner Brothers, came down uh, to see Van Halen, um, Y&T opened. And um, I mean, they were like a, they were a perennial there. They were, they were there. I, I mean, I probably saw them a dozen times. They, they used to open for everybody. And Dave Manichetti, you know, was an unbelievable guitar player. So uh, it, yeah, it was a pretty amazing scene. I mean, it was, it was pretty incredible. I mean, it was a fun time to be a journalist. You know, a lot of these bands, uh, you know, you talk about Shanker, I mean, back in 77, 78, 79, I mean, you know, he's just kind of getting out there. So publicists wanted writers to interview their artists, you know, because um, a lot of these artists were on their first records or second records, you know, I, I, I'd interviewed the whole, all of Aerosmith, because they they played the whiskey. That's the Aerosmith at the whiskey for their, uh, right after the first record came out. Um, uh, you know, and, and we all sat around a little table. I mean, it was like, who do you want to interview? You know, it was because all these bands needed the publicity at that time. 
know. Um, so it was pretty great. What I love about the book I don't is that your your uh, microphone tonight. It's like not working. Cutting in and out. Yeah, and that's okay. Okay, am yeah, I right now? That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I was muting myself. I'll try to mute myself five seconds before I talk. Then, <laughs> sorry try for the that. dead air. Um, <laughs> what I love about the book is that it really captures Eddie in his words, and it really shows how he really felt like a kid in a sandbox when he was talking about his passion, which was guitar, whether he was playing them, modifying them, or building them. Um, However, as the story goes, and I don't want to give too many spoilers away because I want people to buy the book. We want yeah. people to read it and support you um, as uh, as they become more financially successful. And when companies realize that they could capitalize from the Eddie Van Halen brand name, a bit of his dark side comes out, which affects his relationships and really shows um, it, it. It kind of shows it in his answers to your questions. And. It seems safe to say that when Eddie, it seems safe to say that Eddie seemed happiest just when he was being creative and not playing the role of the quote unquote rock star mogul. Uh, would you say that's a pretty accurate description? Uh, no, ab absolutely, Lou. And in fact, um, I, I think I mentioned in the book, and if I don't, um, I should have, but it was those first two tours and the first few albums that he was just, he was joyful, man. Every moment. For him uh, again, you know, he's coming out of playing for 200 people at a, a a a club on the Sunset Strip to you know going out there on the road and opening for you know Montrose and uh, Journey and and I want to mention this is after his earliest date for with Ted Nugent uh, and and Ed talks about Nugent in there and I want to make sure to to mention that um, so you know you have him now playing you know, with, with some of his idols, you know, uh, so that must've just been an amazing thing, but Ed was never the business guy. He never liked making decisions. And I do write about this. A lot of times Edward, because he didn't like doing that. And, and part of me understands that he would take the path of least resistance. And that sometimes came in the form of management, um, of, of singers, uh, you know, uh, business decisions, um, endorsing for guitar companies. Um, you know, I, I wasn't his business, um, you, you know, guy. I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't his agent. I wasn't his lawyer. Um, there was a point where I, I, I felt that I couldn't, I couldn't step over that line. I sometimes wish I had, or I, I said something. Um, uh, but yeah, man, he he hated that. And when Ed said, you know, he didn't like going out, he didn't. It's not like Ed was out at clubs every night, or he was out at concerts, or hanging out backstage, or doing that stuff, which he could have been. Um, uh, yeah, he didn't. He didn't like it. He was most happy sitting in fifty-one fifty with the guitar in his hand and writing and arranging and and. Uh, and playing music. I mean, he was, uh, that, that, that's all he was. I, I mean, sometimes to the, um, um, you know, almost putting aside family, you know, uh, just, just, just for that moment. I mean, you know, back in the day, I mean, he loved Valerie and Valerie loved him. And of course, when Wolf was born, that was everything to him. But there were moments when, 
everybody just sort of were, you know, set aside um, while Ed was, you know, composing. Um, yeah, but 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 yeah, the business side of thing that that being that legend, that guy. Whenever I would even sort of hint at that, or Ed, do you understand your own importance or your own legacy? He would. He, he would get angry angry about it. He would get upset about it. He just didn't want to hear it. It wasn't important to him. Um, so, yeah, pretty amazing guy in that respect. And that's like, like what you mentioned, like on the first few albums, you, I can even tell by reading it, he was just so happy and just so into wanting to record and, play and make music and stuff like that. And then as you know, his career starts going on, you can kind of tell he's getting kind of sick of the business kind of stuff and his attitudes are changing a little bit, I can notice. So yeah, I, I definitely see what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, they, they did. And, you know, we all have to understand, and it's probably pretty common knowledge now, though when Ed was telling me back in the day, uh, no one knew about it. Um, and, and I never wrote about that stuff. Um, and, and those are all the tapes and conversations I, I held on to for, 17 years after our, our final, you know, uh, mm -hmm. conversation together. Um, you know, there were, he, he had his issues with band members and, and, you know, um, and, and I write about it and, and for Ed, what was crucial, what was topmost for him was respect. And it, it, it really didn't have a lot to do with talent. Um, I mean, look, he wanted to surround himself with talented people, of course. But with him, it was all about respect. And if that meant, hey, I'm out here, you know, working 23 hours a day, I want you working on your craft as well, um, you know. And when the other guys didn't measure up to that, it it upset him because to him it was a it was disrespecting his art. Right. Like you know, I I bring all this to it, and if you don't, then you know, there must be some disrespect there. It doesn't mean as much to you as it means to me. And that that was, uh, that brought out some some bad feelings to him. And, you know, I, I write about that. He talks about that. Um, at the end of the day, he loved those guys. He loved those guys in the band, um, you know, but but there were, there were cracks in the armor early on. On the other side of that, Edward was astute enough to, to recognize you don't you don't change horses in the middle of a stream or whatever that maxim is um you know uh you don't change <laughs> bass players or singers um you know that that would have been a disaster early on and uh i believe it would have been as well and he was aware of that but um yeah he he he, he didn't like he didn't like that cloak of uh business guy you know legend decision maker he would allow other people to make decisions. And I think other people made, made some incorrect decisions um, on his behalf. That, that's what I felt. Yeah. And I was like you just mentioned too, some uh, in some, you know, inner turmoil in with the band. And I was shocked at hearing some of that stuff because, you know, they're seeing all the interviews that I saw over the years with them. They seem like they're brothers and they all get along so well. And like most bands, they would just say, if like, say the bass player is not really working out that well, he's gone, you know? but they always just stuck together. And even though there's somebody has strengths and weaknesses, they all just stayed together and, and still made the music that they didn't. I was just shocked to, to learn about that. You know, I'd never heard about that before. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's pretty amazing. And again, yes, we all know about 
you know, Edward's relationship with Dave and Michael because it's, yeah, you know, yeah. been on 8,000 internet uh, sites, you know, back in the day when he's telling me this sort of concurrent with, you know, the second or third record, it's like, wow, is that, are those really your feelings? And, you know, so, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. Um, you know, obviously at the end of the day, it, it all worked. I mean, you, you right, know, those right. first, you know, was that six or seven records, you know, whatever that is with the original band. I mean, you know, those are remarkable records and that's a, an amazing, you know, legacy to, to put together. Um, uh, whether, you know, you're, you know, having knockout punches, you know, punch out fights with, with your other members or not, not that they did, but you know, um, <laughs> yeah, he made it work. He made it work. Um, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Go ahead, Lou. Oh, thanks. Um, so with all due respect to other publications written about Eddie, I think where your book excels, aside from being the actual words of Eddie himself, is that everything occurs in the book as they sequentially happened in real time, in real life. Uh, that being said, it touches on many pivotal points in his life, including the final masters of the albums, which you got to hear before everyone else did, which is sick. I mean, Fair warning is my favorite album of all time. Yeah. If I heard that before it came out, I've been like, dude, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to throw that out there. <laughs> uh, so there was uh, that, the tours as they happened, including the Us Festival, the Brian May Starfleet EP, uh, talking about Alan Holdsworth, the 1984 album, the period where a certain Ronald McDonald lookalike becomes their lead singer, but let's not get into that. Um, and the passing <laughs> of uh, Jan Van Halen, Eddie's father. And it really shows his vulnerabilities where uh, it with it shows the vulnerabilities within the band where it even talks about Alex's fits of jealousy and, um, you know, Ed's pr feeling the pressure of being the sole creative force in the band. And, of course, his marriage to Valerie, um, you definitely provided a good ear for him to open up his inhibitions to. And I guess you kind of touched on it before that you kind of wish that you would have um, intervened more if you could have? Well, you know, man, you, you really hit on a lot of those key elements, you know, I mean, those are, those are big, big points. And a lot of those subjects you just bring up, you know, I mean, there's part of me that was hesitant to, to include that stuff or to write around it. You know, I mean, I could have written a, a simple book. I mean, I could have put together my interviews and, you know, not, written any, any narrative I mean it would have been a simple book to write you know but I, I just I couldn't do that I thought that I, I just thought it was an important story and because I did believe that I was pretty much the only person who had that story um not that I was the only person who hung out with them but I was probably maybe the only writer who had hung out with them and had all that stuff on tape so it was important to me to to be as honest as I could and to paint myself but sometimes it's not you know remarkable uh um situations either um you know i i mentioned early on about his i, I mean one of those main points that, that 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 i'm i'm really a little sad that i never really said anything um was his smoking and you know and i write about it from the very first night i met him at the whiskey <laughs> he may have had a guitar in his hand every time i met him but he also had a cigarette and he held the record and I've been around some smokers that smoke incessantly. Edward smoked more than more than all of them. And, and 
it was a horrible, horrible habit. And again, I write about being susceptible to migraines, nicotine smoke. Oh my God, man. Back in the days, you'd go to a club, right? Before the non-smoking mm. band. You know, you'd walk into the whiskey and it would be thick. You'd be like, you'd be like, you know, crawling your way through like fog, man. Restaurants. Oh, my God. You're trying to eat. Oh, those are the days. (laughs) You know, you'd come home and you would just reek. My God, I'd smell myself and I'd get a headache, you know. Um, So, uh, yeah, back in the day, I was continually surrounded by it. And, And with him, you know, Ed would come over to the pad up in the Hollywood Hills, you know, famous Wee Paw Way, you know, and have a cigarette in his hand when he walked in and he's smoking, you know, and all I ever did was give him an ashtray, you know, and, and like I said, I'm sure I could have said to Ed, man, please don't smoke in the house. And I know he would have respected it and he would have gone outside. But more than that, you know, I I, I, I just said, Ed, man, you know, you expect a healthy guy otherwise, you know, and you know, he was, man. You know, I mean, he may have been doing drugs and drinking, man, but the guy was fit, you know, he was ripped. His arms were amazing. He was never overweight. You know, his skin tone was incredible. He was, he always seemed like a very healthy guy. And I knew, you know, not, not that it took any, you know, um, magic ball, but, but I knew that I knew that cigarette smoking was going to get to him. I wish I'd said something about that. I wish I'd been more, um, uh, uh, vociferous in talking about when he wanted to um, endorse Kramer. I'm not talking about the quality of Kramer's guitars. They made great guitars. Obviously, Edward loved them. But there's no way he should have put his name on them. You know, he could have said to Kramer, build me 10 guitars. These are the specs. I'll play these guitars. Um, but I'm not, you're not going to use my name. And I don't know why he did that. At the end of the day, Kramer did some lousy stuff with him. And you've read about that in the book. Um, um, yeah, unfortunately, I read that after I had bought a Kramer already. So, <laughs> <laughs> look again, man, I'm not trashing the quality of the instruments at, at all. Obviously, Edward loved what they did. Um, uh, you know, he played those guitars, there's pictures of him with those guitars. It was just why, why would, you're the biggest guitar player on the planet? You, they, they would have done anything, any guitar company would have done anything. Why put your name on it? I mean, look, well, whatever, whatever money they paid him, it, 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 you know, it, it could, it, it must have paled in, in terms of the money he was making. So it, it wasn't about the money, and I can't believe that he wanted it for prestige because that that wasn't him. But um, I thought that was a mistake. I, I, I thought, you know, when Sammy came into the band, Sammy brought his manager with him. I, I, I don't understand. I, I mean, why would you do that? And again, I'm not questioning. Is that Ray Daniels? Um, no, that was Ed Leffler. Uh, Ed Leffler, I'm sorry. Ray, Ray yeah. Daniels, who managed Rush at the time, uh, came in after the, Ed Leffler had passed away. And, right, right. Uh, I'm sorry. and thank you, Ray Daniels, for doing a great service to our country. Anyways. Yeah, man. Yeah. And so, uh, again... <laughs> I'm not, I'm not questioning Ed Leffler's ability to manage a band. Obviously, he had that all together. But, he's, but the singer brings his own manager in. I, I, I didn't understand it. I, I didn't get it. You know, why, why would you do that? Why not go out and find somebody? Um, you know, and like I said, sometimes it was the path of least resistance. And, you know, good, better, and different. Ed Leffler, you know, worked with him and 
Ed was happy with him. So, you know, maybe at the end of the day, I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I, 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 I don't know. I, I just thought it was a little strange. I would say, you know, exactly what you're talking about. I mean, we're also talking, this is the same guy who did a guitar solo on the biggest selling album of all time at the time, which was Thriller. You know, he did the solo on Michael Jackson's Beat It and didn't ask for any payment on it. I mean, not even points, not even a percentage on it. And and that song, not that Michael Jackson wasn't in the stratosphere already, but I mean, yeah. you know, that, that only escalated his uh, value more. And, you know, here's Eddie who couldn't put his name on the record because of an agreement within the band. And, you know, what did he get for it? Recognition, but nothing monetarily. And he said he did it because he wanted to. But, you know, again, I can understand that because playing is his passion. I think he was just happy to do it. But, you know, I mean, it's a shame that people took advantage of his kindness. And, you know, and unfortunately, we see as the story unravels um, that definitely affected him. Absolutely. And so where is management at that point? You mean they, they knew nothing about that? I, I, I refuse to believe that. Or they didn't find out quickly enough to say, hey, uh, uh, what label? What, uh, Michael's on Sony or Columbia, whatever that was. You know. Yeah, he was on Sony. Sony. But I mean, you know what I'm saying. So I don't know. I don't, you know, and, and yes, it goes to Edwards not understanding that, yeah, him playing on a Michael Jackson record and, and you know, for him, yeah, it, it was just what he loved to do. And he, I don't think he recognized the import, again, of who he was or, what that meant or his legacy before all that, you know, and, I mean, part of it's charming and part of it's, wow, this, you know, there was a, that was a big check that went uh, uncashed there. So, mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> uh, go ahead, Wayne. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I, you're the one, the Van Halen guy. Go ahead. Do your question. I, I just remember this is your show. Go I'm ahead. not trying to surf if it. I, if I think it's, it's our show. It's our show. If I think of something, I will jump in. But go ahead. Isn't he a great partner, you take Steve? <laughs> the best. You're, you're, now, now, now you're fired. You're not, fired. All right, I'm back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, it's great for me that you mentioned Alan Holdsworth in the book. Uh, like many other guitarists, I would have never have discovered it if it wasn't for Eddie's championing him, you know, and his music. And uh, unfortunately, he did pass away before Eddie did. But uh, I don't think you could have picked two guitarists who better represented uh, the ones that they influenced in their respective genres, both in jazz fusion and in hard rock, the way uh, Alan and Eddie did. But uh, Eddie's always been quoted as saying that he was aware of his influence on other guitarists, but felt resentment that they were too busy copying him rather than finding their own voice. And um, as someone who experienced those words coming to fruition, especially after he passed. And uh, I'm calling out all you guitar player schmucks out there. I think it's ridiculous when people started buying EVH and MXR gear, thinking that you could duplicate in newsflash. You can't anyways. uh, But time has obviously been the great decider as uh, Van Halen has had two diamond selling albums, while the ones he influenced may have only gone gold if they were lucky. Um, Do you personally feel that the, what we call the six pack, the first six albums, uh, with the, that the first six albums that uh, done with the original lineup were probably their most creative. And what do you think kept him from believing his own hype back in the day? Um, 
Sorry if that's a bombshell question. <laughs> no, 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 it's great, man. Um, yes, yeah, so, look, you know, the, 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 the feud, you know, Dave versus Sammy will go on forever. And maybe that's a good thing, you know. Some people love the Sammy Hagar era. Some people love the Dave era. Some people love the Gary Sharon record. Um, um, certainly those first six <laughs> records. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, the Sammy records, I mean, they're very good records. I mean, they sold incredibly well. But but at the end of the day, I mean, the, the original, you know, those original four guys, I, I, I don't know how you um, really, really try to put anything up, ag up against that. Um, how did Edward not believe his own hype, man? It goes, it, it's a question I tried to answer for 580 pages, you know, how could this guy be who he is and, and, and if not, not have that ego thing or or believe all that stuff it was amazing and it comes out time and time again in these little you know peaks and valleys you know things he would say and you know if i if i told him my god and i remember man it was the fair warning record and i think maybe that's my favorite as well man um nice you know we're talking about one of the solos and it, it was just you know one of those life-changing groundbreaking solos you know and and i i just couldn't contain myself because i had to contain myself and i found out early on man if i started gushing man and if i was a psycho fan i said ed oh my god that's so fucking he would like he'd turn off and go yeah man. and like i said he would almost get angry about it um so i tried to control myself but this time i i i, I went overboard and he kind of got it but then there was another solo and I thought, well, man, I can't, I can't go overboard again, you know. And and I, you know, uh, he was talking about the solo. I goes, yeah, man, it's it, it's good. When inside, I want to say it is the greatest solo I've ever heard in my life. It is everything any guitar player, you know, would have ever aspired to. And I said it was good. And um, he goes, well, uh, he said, and I can't remember his exact response. And then I write about. It. Was, well, didn't think it was good. I thought it was good. Meaning my response to him, he cared so much about what I thought that he thought that I, somehow I didn't like it. <laughs> you know, Edward Van Halen, it's like, I could have said everything Ed, you did is horrible. And that might've, he might've really taken that to heart. So I don't know, man, how could he not believe his own hype? He was really, you know, I know I'm jumping around here. I, I just did a, I just did a, a a Ted Nugent podcast, and that was fun. And 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 Ted, who who knew Ed pretty well, um, you know, there's some pictures of them on the on, online. Um, sort of described Edward as a savant, and and in may, and in ways she was, man. You know, he was this guy who was so unbelievably gifted as a musician, but in those other areas, you know, the business thing, this and that, you know, a little unsure. Um, uh, so I, I, I just don't think that that the ego thing or that it, it just never was a part of it. With him, it was just making music. And um, I always said he was aware of how good he was. He just never needed to hear it. Um, and he would never tell you how good he was. I never, ever heard him say, man, is that the fucking best solo you've ever heard? Man, I can smoke uh, all these guys, you know. He may have had some not so nice words about some players because maybe they had, I don't know, 
uh, insulted him earlier or ripped him off in some way. But it was never like, oh, that guy sucks. He's horrible. I can, you know, I'm much better than Huckler. You know, I mean, I wish I had a more definitive answer of, of how he was able to maintain that, but um, I don't. Um, uh, and as time went on, I, I think maybe that got a little bit more difficult to balance. And, you know, you, you touched on it a little. Ed, Ed got a little darker and, and um, you know, a, a lot of that joy went out of him. And I, I sensed it over the years. Um, and I never really knew an exact reason why. And I, I try to answer those questions, but um, it was a little sad to see that for sure. No, I, I understand. Well, you answered that question beautifully. Thank you. Um, I first heard of you when you had posted that audio from the Diver Down period. Oh. And uh, I think what really hit me about that interview, other than him just having like a conversation with you, was where he discussed Randy Rhodes and he mentioned that uh, Randy tried to copy him. Um, it's true that Randy taught his students Van Halen music because they asked him to teach them when he was a teacher at his mother Dolores' school, Musonia, where he was then replaced by future docking guitarist George Lynch when Randy went to join Ozzy. Um, it's sad to notice that Eddie never acknowledged um, that in regards to Randy because you know, the debate ridiculously still goes on to this day over who was better, Randy or Eddie. Um, in my opinion, I don't think you could find two different guitarists that had a, that had a, an equal level of importance. Uh, but as a fellow guitar fan, um, where do you stand uh, on the supposed Randy-Eddie debate? You know, man, that's so interesting you bring that up. And that's one of my great regrets. And that little excerpt you pull out is the only time I ever brought up Randy's name. Edward never brought up Randy's name, you know, apropos of nothing. It's not like, you know, Edward had ever mentioned his name. Uh, we were just in the middle of that conversation. I think we were all over the road and, oh, what about Randy Rhodes, you know? And, and as you said, Edward said, yeah, he respects me, but, uh, you know, Randy, you know, admits, you know, copy me or whatever um, uh, that quote was. Um, I'm not sure if you, if you know, Lou, I actually wrote a book on Randy Rhodes. Um, I need to um, buy that. Uh, yeah, um, and and actually that book, um, and I, I'll just veer off for a second here. Um, that book, um, that project was presented to me. Um, it's not like I went out and I was gonna write a book on Randy Rhodes. And um, Andrew Klein, um, who approached me, um, uh, was a student of Randy's and knew Randy pretty well. He wanted to put this book together, ultimately put together this beautiful oversized hard hardcover uh, coffee table book. Um, and he had sort of written um, uh, sort of a, a, a foundational manuscript and he needed somebody to kind of, you know, put some finishing touches. So, so, so that's what I did. Um, I never met Randy. Um, I never interviewed him. Uh, I saw him play a couple of times with Quiet Riot at the Starwood um, and to be completely transparent. I didn't think I didn't think Randy was that good. You know, he was playing a Les Paul at the time, and he was he was a good rock guitar player. I just I couldn't I couldn't see past it. I wasn't a big Quiet Riot fan, so that may have colored my thinking. Um, and it wasn't until Ozzy um, and all props to Ozzy, uh, you know, and and now Randy can you know these blooms and he's triple tracking his solos, and you know that's why I thought Randy really came into his own. 
in terms of that feud, I've heard a lot of different stories. Um, Andrew, like I said, knew Randy. He knew a lot of Randy's friends and, and um, you know, I wish I had talked to Edward more. I, I wasn't going to write about something at Pierce Bay. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I suppose if Randy were still here, Rand, it would be this incredible compliment to Randy that Edward would feel that way because Ed never felt that way about any other guitarist. In other words, for him to not dismiss, but, but not, not maybe not give Randy his, his props was a, maybe an, uh, another way of saying Randy is a really good guitar player. And, you know, I'm, you know what I mean? It's, it's, so I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I wish I could, I could talk more to the point. Um, uh, but I heard there were moments when, you know, they'd sort of ran into each other and those encounters weren't always pleasant. Um, um, it's strange. I, I, I thought, yeah, I, 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 I can't imagine. I mean, it's like, I mean, what's that like? Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I don't know if Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page are best friends. Certainly they, they've always had a relationship. Well, one has and, passed um, away, so I don't think that matters anymore. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, I, I wish, you know, there are moments, there's subjects I wish I could have talked to him more about. Randy certainly would have been one. Um, alas. Yeah. Go ahead, Wayne. Um, you, you did mention the Dave and Sammy thing. What did you really think about when, when David Lee Roth was gone and then he brought Sammy in and the, the whole, the music really changed? You know, it wasn't like it was on the first uh, few albums. So what did you really think about that whole thing right so i so i write about that moment in between uh that space in between dave and and sammy you know uh, edward you know says to me hey man go find me a singer i go you know right yeah i'm gonna find you a singer like (laughs) you can't find a singer but it goes to what we're talking about earlier about edward uh, you know not wanting to go find a singer not understanding the process look i'm 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 uh, postulating here, but I mean, my God, he could have called. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a singer in Van Halen? I mean, come on. Right. He wanted Patty yeah. Smythe for God's sakes. Which, yeah, exactly. Phenomenal you know? singer, but I don't think that would have been the right fit. No, I don't. I don't either. Um, but um, uh, so you know, he said, "Go find me a singer." You know, so I, you know, I kind of half-heartedly. If I thought he, if I'd known he was going to be more serious, I would have more seriously pursued it. But um, so he leaves that message on my phone. Uh, hey, Steve, you know, uh, Sammy's lyrics to my music, man. I forget what he said. Next level or you won't believe it. Um, funny enough, I had actually interviewed Sammy right before I met Ed. Uh, obviously, Sammy's still look career. Uh, but mm-hmm. I thought the guy was great. I mean, very cool guy. Nice, bright. Um, I love the first Montrose record. Um, um, you know, I. I was never a big Sammy Hagar solo fan. Yep, talented guy, you know, had great shops and great guitar player. It was just, it just wasn't my thing. Um, I, I saw those records as, um, um, you know, some of the jagged edges had been smoothed down. Right. Um, you know, Edwards, you know, the sound of his guitar changes. Mm. Um, you know, and Ed talked about it. Sammy's range is, is is certainly bigger than Dave's. There's more keyboards coming into play. 
uh, the music is um, um, a little more, well, maybe a lot more arranged. Uh, you know, the changes are a little more, maybe a little hipper than those first, um, the canon of those first six records. Um, I mean, they made some good records, um, you know. Um, I personally thought those first records were better than the Sammy era record, but that's just me, my opinion. And um, again, you know, when the honeymoon began, that was a big love affair. I mean, you know, they, they both loved each other and loved working together. And I think Ed loved the idea that he was a guy really devoting time and energy and coming in and, and all that. And I'm not saying Dave didn't do that, but you know, I write about Dave going off on a vacation for two weeks when he was supposed to be in the studio. Those little bits, you know, Sammy wasn't doing that. Ultimately, some of that started creeping in and, you know, that love affair ends. So, um, look, no one was going to have the work ethic that Edward had. It was right. possible, right. you know. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, Edward found Sammy through his mechanic. Okay. I mean, <laughs> sure, you know, wh why not, you know. Yeah. Uh, was there somebody you had in mind that maybe would have fit better? Yeah, that's an excellent question, you know, and, and I've been asked that. And no, there's nobody specific. And what I thought, and this is people say, oh, dude, you're out of your mind. That was never going to happen. <laughs> I thought that they could have found some unbelievable unknown singer, some guy who, you know, had all those qualities that Dave had and, and that what Edward was attracted to in Sammy and just energy and, and some kid willing to work harder than Edward, you know, it was going to be there yeah. 25 hours a day. Obviously Warner's wasn't going to allow that. They weren't going to let him, you know, um, I got it. Mike with... Starr from Steel Panther. He would have been perfect. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> He's like five years old by then. Maybe. <laughs> well, who cares? Yeah, exactly. But no, I, I never really, I, I never really envisioned any singer. Um, you know, I don't know. If, I mean, Edward loved uh, uh, Bon Scott, you know? Mm. And, you know, uh, I think I'd once compared Dave to Bon in as much as some of that growling thing. And I think and some of the, mad, some mad of the too. Yeah. The swagger, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I don't know, you know. Um, but then he loved Cheap Trick, and maybe he loved, um, uh, sorry, man, um, uh, oh, wow. singer's name in Cheap Trick. Yeah. Uh, God, oh, Robin yeah. Zander. Thank you. Robin yeah. Zander, who's an unbelievable singer. But Agreed. That's, Agreed. That's the other side, right? That's a little bit, you know, that's like Sammy, more Sammy, you know what I mean? More that, just an amazing singer, you know? Um, yeah, it's, so, it's hard to think because, like, and, and he mentions it in the book as well, Eddie Van Halen, they're a lot of people think they're a metal band, but they're really not a metal band. And they could kind of fit in yeah, almost exactly. anything in a way, you know? Yeah. I mean, so it's kind yeah. of hard to think like what kind of singer you're going to put with them because you can't put a metal singer in them because it's just not going to work. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's... Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Paul Rogers would have been amazing. Um, you know, is Freddie Mercury going too far? I don't know. Uh, Peter Gabriel, um, you know... Uh, Brian Adams, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But, uh... but, but yeah, that's the misconception. I mean, even I 
would agree van halen was not now nor were they ever a metal band you know even dave said that they were a big rock band he called them like you know bigger than life but loud in your face rock and roll and that's what they were personally i think it would have been cool to have seen peter gabriel and eddie van halen do something because i know eddie was a big fan of the so album as i am as well so that would have been it would have been cool to have heard Eddie collaborate with different singers and see what they could have done with his music. That that imagine, would have been great. Could you imagine him up on stage dressed up as like a big flower or something? Yeah, exactly. We're not talking <laughs> the Genesis era, dude. We're not talking the Genesis yeah, era. Peter I can't Gabriel. see that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, man. You know, and and we all now know famously of uh, that a border to town. Edward wanted to do a or been thinking about a solo record, bringing in different singers, and you know Phil Collins. My God, that could have been unbelievable you know because all those guys wrote i mean phil is such an amazing writer pete townsend is the one i really wanted to hear mm-hmm. you know you hear a lot of pete townsend's playing it and edwards playing and i think i bring it up at one point compare a song to a, a who song or something you know one of my moronic statements but you know uh, <laughs> you know they, they were a big who guy who band uh it was a big who fan you know and you know in there i write um uh Edward used to sing uh, Young Man Blues, you know, back in the day, club days used to do that, you know, but but he and Townsend riding together, oh my God, that would have been scary. I think Joe Cocker was mentioned, Patty Smythe, that could have been amazing, uh, you know, you know, yeah. also because of the writing talents of, of all of those people, it would have been, mm. would have been amazing. Um, yeah, that's a know. definite what if question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there have been a lot of books written about periods of the career and lives of the members of Van Halen. Um, you know, definitely want to give credit to their former manager, Noel Monk, and his book, Running with the Devil, Greg Renoff's Van Halen Rising, and Andrew Bennett's Eruption in the Canyon. Uh, a lot of what is printed in those books corroborate with events that you, Steve, uh, wrote about in Tone Chaser from their beginnings to their quote-unquote fall from grace. Um, I know as a journalist, you care about your integrity as it shows in the book. And uh, there's always a factor of asking yourself if there are ever any portions of the story as it happened that you should have left out for posterity or leave it in there with the possibility of uh, potential backlash. But uh, again, I praise for your honesty in the book. So, you know, might be a silly question, but I'd have to ask how important was it for you to maintain journalistic integrity and transparency in your book you know those are all such uh, lofty phrases lou and I, I i never thought of myself as a a trained you know journalist and i write up you know we talk about me flunking out of ucla and wanting to stab the english teacher in the eye with a fork you know <laughs> um oh you know, a butcher wayne <laughs> yeah, man, you know, and, and, and you talk about those other books, you know, and, and those guys in terms of, yeah, historically, you know, understanding Ben Hill. I mean, I mean, Greg Renoff, I mean, knows way more about Ben Hill than I do. It, he just doesn't under, you know, he just didn't have the, the, the personal thing, you know. Um, it, it was critical to me, and, and I touched on it before. I could have taken the easy way out. I had all these interviews that had never been seen or heard. Um, and even um, the interviews that were out were um, uh, edited, um, you know, for the magazines, you know, there was stuff that was left out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
um, you know, I could have put those all together and not written any of this stuff and written a few words as connecting tissue and, and you know, would have been okay. It would have been an interesting book, but, you know, I started writing and then I would come to one of those moments or he would say something and it's like, yeah, what, what do I do? You know, because if I leave that out, well, when I come to the next little subject, what, what do I do? Do I leave that out as well? And, and at the end of the day, I, I, I couldn't do that. Not that I was trying to be some, you, you know, scholarly writer or, you know, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was hurt anybody or reveal something or cause emotional duress for any, anybody, family members or fans, you know, that's the last thing I wanted to do, you know. I mean, if you read the book, you really, I think you get the sense that it's 580 pages of me paying homage to my friend and, you know, the most amazing guitar player in the world. Um, so I, I had to, I had to include those moments. And like I said, you know, I, I also had to be honest with myself and, you know, and I'm up there 5150 and we're doing drugs. I mean, I'm doing drugs with Edward, you, you know, and I, I drank a little bit, not much because I tended to get headaches, but I, I had to include those moments because those, I think, I think those moments say as much about Edward as, you know, you know, him building his guitars and, playing and his love of music. I mean, there's those little glimpses, you know, um, that would happen once in a while that tended to be maybe more personal. Him talking about his family or his relationship with his brother. Um, you know, I, th those I think really revealed so much about him. So I had to include that. And at the end of the day, I'm, I'm really happy I did. The response has been just overwhelming. Um, I have always tried to, um, bring the reader in to my little world and back when I was writing for Guitar World and doing those Van Halen stories I put my address in there and please write to me and what do you think do you like the story and you know did I do okay and this and that you know and people wrote and I answered every single letter um, you know that was important to me and so the responses I've gotten have been wow I didn't know that about Ed you thank you for writing that I don't think a single person I said, why would you write that? Why would you say those terrible things about him? You know, I don't think one person said that. I think one person wrote, well, who the fuck are you, Steve Rosen, to write this book? All right, you know. You're the guy that enough. interviewed Eddie Van Halen as per his request. I mean, what the hell? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I let that one go. But, you know, the other 99% of everybody, you know, were really happy to, to read those moments. So I'm, I'm happy about that. That, that book. It wasn't easy to do. And, and again, the last thing I, I'd ever want to do and would ever want to do is hurt somebody, embarrass somebody. Um, you know, um, if, I, if I thought I was going to do that, I would have left those parts out. If I had been contacted by someone who's saying, oh, I understand you're writing a book. And if Edward said, you know, I would have left those parts out. I would have stated to their wishes, you know, I'm, I'm talking about family here. I mean, but, um, you know, I've had no communication with them. And so, um, yeah, I hope I, I, if they've read the book or if they know about the book, I hope I, I, I hope that they're OK with it. You know? Well, I think what you did was you showed Ed's humanity 
in the book because I think, you know, people are under the facade that because he was who he was, that he was this, you know, rock God, this guitar God. And, you know, people forget, you know, he was just a human being. He was just a normal guy who, you know, picked up the ball and carried it with him and carried it with him until he drew his final breath. And, you know, I, I think it showed the humanity of uh, two friends just having good conversations. It showed the, well, cloudy, dirty world that is the music industry, especially at the time. And some of its, uh, you know, <laughs> unethical tendencies back then and how it could affect a person, you know, um, I don't want to say that he was a victim of anything, but he was uh, definitely uh, an unfortunate casualty of what could have been. Um, I mean, not not that he had a bad career at all. I mean, you know, the, the man won, you know, guitarist of the year in almost every publication for how long, you know, up, up until God knows when. And, you know, well-deserved as well. But, you know, like I said, I think what you did with this book was you you showed his humanity, which I think is the thing that was lacking in everything else that's been published about him. That That's really nice you said that, Lou. Um, I, I had an email from somebody and they said, yeah, man, you humanized Edward. I thought, wow, I love that, man. So hearing, you know, because that, that wasn't, when I set out to write the book, I, I'm just writing and, and, you know, I'm friends with this guy. It's not like I said, oh, I want to, I want to show that other side of Edward. I want, I want to humanize him. I think if I set out to do that, it, it, it wouldn't have worked. So you just kind of stumble upon that by revealing these moments and some of the more personal moments is that, yes, that humanity and that humanization of this person comes out. So that, that, that's great because at the end of the day, that's really what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted you to know who this guy was, not on stage and not being um, Eddie Van Halen, but Edward Van Halen. And yeah, this guy who had, you know, insecurities and his foibles and was unsure sometimes and had arguments. And yeah, um, as hard as it is to believe of our heroes, I mean, they... They, they do, uh, they do go through those moments, you know? Um, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I always try to take into account that every musician or every person that we interview on uh rat review, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, acknowledge your greatness, but you know, treat them like how they would like to be treated like a human being, you know? So it's good to know that you were that, doing that back in the day. Um, I guess still I'm still waiting for you to recognize my greatness. No, um, it's, <laughs> I'm in a band with you, Wayne. That's good enough. Anyways, um, severedangel.com, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I, I, what is the takeaway that you personally want people to conclude with upon reading Tone, Tone Chaser? Because, you know, like you said, um, it, it wasn't like you were trying to humanize him. It just happened that way. But uh, I mean, what's your ultimate takeaway for people? We talk about those other Van Halen books and those other authors. And um, I did know that it, that it wasn't going to be that type of book because those guys know infinitely more about, uh, you know, what, what guitar did Ed use on the third tour? And, you know, um, you know he was using the, the Duncan pickups and the Bumblebee. You know, though I've had a thousand conversations with musicians, I, I, I understand that on a 
sort of an overarching um, plane, but I'm not a tech guy. So, you know, I, I can't talk about stuff like that. The history of the band, um, you know, again, it, it was best covered by those guys. So I know it wasn't going to be that kind of a book that I specifically knew. What would I want people to come away with? That there was this guy, Steve Rosen, who had the, you know, dumb, good luck, you know, destiny. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever believed in that word. I think we make our own way in the world. But I was there that night at the whiskey. And um, Edward was there that night. And I write about that. Well, what if I hadn't been there? Would we still have met up? Probably. I mean, somewhere down the line, I probably would have interviewed him, but it could have been then, you know, writer and, you know, interviewer and interviewee. So, you know, um, maybe the, the friendship never develops. But so there's this Steve Rosen guy who's a writer who loves guitar players, who's met a lot of famous guitar players, and he has this amazing opportunity, you, you, you know, um, synchronous events come together, and he gets to meet this guy, Edward Van Halen. And this guy, Edward Van Halen, sees something, feels something in this guy, Steve Rosen, that he feels comfortable with. At the end of the day, I don't think any of that relationship would have mattered. Um, you know, I could have been writing cover stories for Rolling Stone and written 100 books. I, I don't think any of that mattered to him. And like I wrote, I don't know if Edward ever read a story I ever wrote. Um, um, but I think at the end of the day, and I talk about it before, about respect, I, I, I think he respected me. You know, and, and I was a sympathetic ear. I've always been a good listener. Um, what is a music journalist besides sitting in a room and listening carefully to what these creative individuals are telling you? Um, so that that was at the heart of it. And so I, I would want, want people to understand, yeah, this is just a, it was a friendship between this guy, Steve Rosen, who never in a million years could have ever thought he was going to meet the most famous guitar player on the planet. And this most famous guitar player on the planet becoming friends with this Steve Rosen guy. And what was that like in, in those moments, hanging out with this person who, who, who was a legend in his own time? And, um, you know, do you feel that feeling, you know, when I'm there in the room with him and he's playing those licks from the Women and Children First record, and he's playing Van Halen two licks. Can you feel what I felt and, and how amazing that was? And, you know, how remarkable and how generous and open and supportive this guy was um, to this Steve Rosen guy, you know, and that's who this Edward Van Halen was. Um, you know, and that's that's what I hope people will come away with. And, um, you know, yes, he changed. But, uh, you know, I, I I try not to remember those years and I almost discount those um, because of those first those first years. He, he was an amazing person, man. And I love the guy and, and, and he loved me. And, you know, I hope people get that, you know, that, you know. Yeah, there's two two friends, and yeah, I'm I'm reading these words, and I'm I'm sitting there in the room with this Steve Rosen guy, and yeah, I can feel that, you know, and um, yeah, I, I that's that's what I hope they come away with, you know. Um, I mean, it, it, it's hard to really encapsulate it because I mean, 
there's a lot I hope they come away with. But yeah, it's just that, yeah, everyone's a human being. I was the luckiest person in the world to, to have met him. And um, uh, honestly, I, I think about it and, and I, I always ask the question, why me? And then the other side of me says, well, why not me? You know, there you, go. So, um, you know, I hope understand, people understand that I was, I was the most insecure person. Ed was the most secure person in some ways. And, you know, you come together and, and this friendship got formed. Well said. Yeah. I, I just, I, and reading your book, I just found it so cool that he would just show up at your house randomly and just play you the things that he recorded. It was just amazing. Yeah. So that was he, he really he really thought a lot about you apparently to, to do that because I'm sure not that he didn't do that with everybody. I don't think he did that with anybody else. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, and, and and I and I have to believe that because because you're right, Wayne. You know, Lou. I, I yeah, I, I can't believe he was inviting all his buddies over and playing him them rough tracks with guitar and drums on it. Yeah. Yet, you know, I, I just refuse to believe that, and he certainly maybe. Camp Lady was driving over the house and bringing guitar and playing the wrist. Yeah. So yeah, he, he took you know, the time to do that. You know, not everybody's going to do that. It's you know, it's know. out of there. I know. They got other things to do and then to stop what he's doing and to come over and show you all that stuff. I know. Just... I know. It, it it blew me away. I, I I thought, my God, for him to do that, yeah. And, and and to share his art, the thing that he loved most in life, with me. Yeah, you know. So I tried to write about those moments, and I hope I. I captured that moment in words, you, oh, you know, yeah. accurately. Definitely. You know. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so uh, a listener, John Gervais, had two questions. I think you touched on one we of had them. Listeners? Uh, yes, we do have an <laughs> audio podcast out too, available on Spotify, oh, thank uh, you. Amazon, and Apple. And uh, don't forget SeveredAngel.com. <laughs> the biggest one that we're listening to on is Pandora. So anybody listening on Pandora. Who the hell still listens to Pandora? I don't know, but it's the most uh, thing we're listening to. So. Do, do they still use iRivers? Anyways, moving right along. <laughs> what the hell it is? <laughs> that, that was a failed attempt at a competitor for the iPod. Anyways, remember that, ladies and gentlemen? Oh, yes, I remember that. Now. Yeah, I, I forgot what it was wow. called. <laughs> um, so the two questions uh, they had asked, I think you kind of touched up on it, but, uh, you know, you did mention the book that you had a, a run-in with Valerie on the streets as you're running your book, but um, you haven't spoken to her or Wolfgang about the book? I have not spoken to Valerie, Wolf, or Alex. Um you know, I, I mean, do they know about the book? Probably, you know, um, I mean, you, you know, Wolf is pretty active on social media. Maybe he's seen a post for the book. Um, he's too busy facing off haters. That's what he's doing on social media. Well, the poor guy. You know, uh, you know, the things that have been said about him are horrific. Yeah. And those people need to be strung up, you know. Um, I mean, you know, and I write about in the book, you know, Edward plays me, you know, Wolf is 11 years old. He's playing drums like John Bonham. I mean, the kid, <laughs> the kid has uh, Van Halen blood for sure. I mean, he's a mm -hmm. very, very talented kid. I just saw him in concert at uh, MedLife Stadium opening for Metallica. And I have to admit, he, him and his band were phenomenal. And the songs came off great live. And, you know, like, you know, he did. The, the two-handed tapping but you know it wasn't like he 
overdid it. You know, he's definitely not trying to be his father. He's trying to be his own guy. And uh, I have all the respect in the world for him for that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I do too, you know. And, um, you know, like I said, the last thing I wanted to do was hurt anybody or embarrass anybody. And, you know, um, I mean, in, in a perfect world, and I, I, I've maybe spoken about this before, I would, you know, I, I, I have this fantasy that the phone's going to ring and Wolf is going to call. And, um, you, you know, uh, he's going to say, well, I, I haven't read your book. I've heard about your book. But I understand you were friends with my dad or you knew my dad for 26 years. And obviously, I knew that I knew his dad before Wolf did. Um, you know, what can you tell me? You know, because Wolf seems, you know, uh, I mean, like. You know, he wants to know about his dad and remember things about his dad. And, you know, I can tell him things about his dad in 77 and 78, you know. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, Alex, you know, there's that little mishap in the book with Bon Jovi. And, you know, is he still angry at me because of that? I don't know. And Valerie, you know, who I always loved and we got along and playing Scrabble with her was one of the greatest moments of my <laughs> life. And I loved her and I thought she was always welcoming to me in her home. Um, I think she knew I was never going to do anything to hurt Edward. And, you know, so I don't know, man, sometimes life doesn't work out like you, like, like, like you would hope it would. I, I hope if they know about the book, they feel okay with it. They, in deep in their hearts, they know that, yeah, Steve Rosen was, is not going to write a book that's going to trash my, my father or my, my husband or my brother. You know, I, I hope that they would know that. And um, spoiler alert, he didn't. It's a very respectable book. So. Absolutely. But we'll always love Barbara Romano anyways. So that, <laughs> that's great. a one day at a time reference for you youngins out there. That's what yeah. we all first heard of Valerie. I mean, who didn't love her? I mean, my God, the first time, you know. Dave. <laughs> yeah. yeah God. Uh, the second question is uh, uh, that John asked was, what is, you mentioned Fair Warning is your favorite Van Halen album. Uh, what is your favorite Van Halen song? Oh, man, that's so hard. You know, it's funny because maybe my favorite Van Halen song is off the first record is Jamie's Crying. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, um, I, I I just think it's 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 one of those songs. Um, uh, it, it's one of the one of the overdubs on the first record. There's only a uh, couple songs in talking about love. I think you know where he's actually you know he's playing a rhythm part and then he goes back into the solo part or the noodle part, what I call. And then towards the end there, you know, it's it's the riff and then he does like that. Hendrix two string thing. I, I just thought that was so amazing. I thought Dave sang really great. The riff itself, I just thought was unbelievable. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm on fire. It's like oh. that's my personal favorite song. You, you know, my that. God, I've talked to a lot of guitar players, and certainly you recognize it, Lou. And um, they said that's maybe one of the most difficult songs to play because of Ed's feel. And yeah, right. And, yeah, and, I, I, I know it. that because I have to play it next month. <laughs> oh, wow. Cool, man. You know, so Ed, Ed had that swing 
that a lot of English guitar players had, which which is why I love English guitar players, you know. But but Ed's Ed's rhythm playing was just it, it was astonishing, and you know that's an unbelievable example of that. So. Yeah, he does not get enough credit as a rhythmic player because no. you know what what he does is he plays the guitar like it's its own voice you know mm-hmm. like instead of just doing you know typical power chords or like you know arpeggiated note picking i mean he's he's doing stuff that i'd hate to say it but it's true that almost everybody else in the 80s completely mimicked yeah absolutely and and you know you think about it you know uh, van halen is a trio with the singers so it's not like there's another guitar player there you know, it's not like there's a, a keyboard player. Yeah, so for him to have, de- have developed that style, of, you know, I, this is maybe apropos of nothing, but I've always wondered, how is it that, that someone like Edward Van Halen, and I suppose you could say this about, well, you couldn't say it about Jeff Beck or, or Jimmy Page, because those guys grew, grew up out of the blues. So there's the slow evolution. But how come Edward Van Halen, we couldn't have heard about Edward, and maybe he was playing those backyard parties, but what, why wasn't Edward around in 70? Now, the age thing, I understand, but, but how is it that Edward developed this style in, in, you know, 73, 74, 75, and it, it, it wasn't around in any form before then? In other words, where... Where does that come from? You know, I guess I'm I'm, I'm looking for what what's the speed of creativity. I, I you know I, I don't know if there's even an, an answer for that. Did um, I interject? Yes. I think it's because uh, doing those backyard um, parties in Pasadena, um, they had to do three to four, sometimes even five hour shows, where they had to learn a bunch of songs. So what's Ed going to do? He's going to sit down, hear them on the radio or hear them on the record, play along with them and play what he thinks they're playing. So I'm thinking that that's what evolved into his own style. You know, they say that 10,000 hours of practice makes you ready. And, you know, what else was he doing other than getting ready to play those backyard parties? So I'm thinking that that had everything to do with it Uh, because when I first started out, you know, I had a Mel Bay book like every other yeah, aspiring yeah. guitarist does. Yeah. But then all of a sudden you develop the um, the Suzuki method, you know, playing by ear and you you are playing what you think you're hearing. Hmm. And I think that's possibly a big part of it. I, I could be wrong, but it's it's just a hypothetical guess. Right. No, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, playing what you think you're hearing. Now, that's a pretty whimsical notion but I, I i totally get it you know so we're talking about creativity and where does that come from and what is it you're hearing and how did you hear that but i i, I do agree with you you know and, and i think even more so yeah you know sitting there and playing uh, you know cream songs and sabbath and stray dog and zz top and you know bad company and all that yeah all that gets funneled through his unique uh you know brain pan and it comes out as edward van halen um right i mean a lot of those bands are trios um so yeah so yeah it, it comes from somewhere but you know you you would never say that edward played like i mean a little bit you know like billy gibbons or or those types of people but um 
yeah, it's just it's just pretty amazing, you know. Um, or why weren't there ten other guitar players playing like Edward? You know what I mean? How does it? How does the '70s now is the era of that style of guitar playing? You know, you know what I mean? It's like I, I don't I don't know if there's an answer to that. Um, do you know what I mean? Am I making sense here? Oh, did he freeze? I think he froze. Yeah. Or he's really thinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, man, yeah, I'm just tossing out the, uh, you know, things I think about, you know, uh, I mean, I suppose that's true with anything, you know, how is it that um, expressionism, you know, or surrealism as an art, you know, it, it's, you know, it's not like there was one guy doing it 50 years earlier. It's all, you know, and these people are working in isolated environments. So how is it? You know, I, I, how is it that, you know, in 77, the Sunset Strip thing happened? You know, why didn't it happen 10 years earlier with different guitar players? You know what I mean? I mean, I don't even know if there's an answer to that question, but, you, you know. Yeah. Did you yeah. get to spend any time with Alex at all? Um, I spent um, not a lot of time, but he would be up at 5150 sometimes when I was there. Um, um I, I'd see him. Um, uh, they had these like big um, rehearsal. I would see him there, talk to him there. Uh, I see him backstage once in a while. And then I write famously about going on the double date with Alex, and that was uh, that was a scene, man. That was that was fun. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I didn't. I didn't know Alex that well. I mean, he knew me as this writer who was always hanging out with his brother. Yeah. And I, I believe that he, again, he recognized in me uh, someone who had Edward's back and wasn't going to write anything bad about him and, right. you know, cared about his brother. And, and so I was kind of welcome into the, the Van Halen fold as it were. So, uh, yeah, we always had a very cordial, nice relationship. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I liked the guy. I mean, he was certainly the big brother. Mm. Um, you know, uh, protective of Edward. Um, I, I mean, I, I sense that. Um, so, uh, as the way it should be, you know, for a bigger brother. Yeah. yeah. Did they ever, <coughs> excuse me, did they ever invite you into the studio like during the recordings of any albums or anything? Uh, never did. No. Um, I think that was uh, that was the inner sanctum. Um, I don't think anybody was ever there, you know, the engineers and. Yeah. Uh, you know, producers, obviously. I was down at um, uh, Sunset Sound, um, which I I almost forgot about, but I, I write about it in the book and there's a conversation where I, either Edward brings it up or I mentioned Sunset Sound. So I was down there um, and I don't, I can't, I, I can't remember why. I don't know if Edward was playing me tapes there or maybe they had a session that day, but no, I, I, I was never... Uh, privy to sitting in on the session. That would have been, uh, that would have been pretty incredible. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Are you back now, Lou? Yes, I have been back for about two minutes. <laughs> Are you unfrozen now? <laughs> I hate this MacBook. Anyways, Apple, send us new products. Yeah, we ah. that. All right, go ahead. You got some more stuff? I any just have uh, more fans? one final question for uh, Mr. Rosen. And that is, Steve, if you want people to find out more about you or purchase your books, where on the interweb can they go? Oh, well, cool. Well, 
I am so happy to announce that after being a music journalist for, believe it or not, over five decades, and even since the advent of the internet and the computer, you know, people say, oh, get a web page, get a website. You know, it's like, you know, they might have been saying, you know, dude, fly to the moon. I mean, I, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how to do that. Anyway, I had a very good friend, um, uh, count me, Ron Brahe, put together a web page where you can find the book. There's some cool pictures up there. Um, you can find out a little bit more about me and, and, and things I've done. And that address is very simple. ToneChaserBook.com. All one word, no spaces. ToneChaserBook.com. You can also find the book on Amazon, eBay, Reverb, and Etsy. If anybody ever goes to Etsy and you're shopping for a homemade purse, go look up my book. Um and, I mean, uh, that's where I got this shirt. <laughs> seriously? Oh yeah, Etsy's they, they actually have some pretty cool stuff on there. Oh like wow, rock and metal related. Oh, yeah. Wow, cool. Um, yeah, so you can find the book there. And um, actually, I, 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 this is the first time I'm announcing this. Um, I, I hate to I hate to say this say this, but you know, due to rising costs. Um, my book on my site, which is now $35, um, on November 1st, it will go up to $41.99. Um, like everything else in this world, man, things just got more expensive. Um, but if you, you know, if you have any interest, you can still go find the book and uh, up until November 1st for, for $35. And, um, yeah, so hope you go and check it out. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, it, it, like you said, the prices have gone up everywhere. Are you offering the book autographed on, on your website or can people ask you to autograph it? You know, man, um, I had, I, I originally thought, well, I'm going to autograph all the books. And then one person said something, oh, I wish you had an autograph. So I said, okay. So now, uh, yes, if you request an autograph, I will happily autograph it. I will personalize it. You know, uh, wives of but copies for husband's birthdays and mention the birthday and i love doing that i'll happily do that you know but um just put in the request and i will happily sign it for you very cool yeah and seriously everybody i mean you know we when we have authors on rats review we try not to just have anyone who's publishing we don't want anyone who does a smear book or you know talks crap about people you know we really yeah. try to do our pick of the litter of finding good authors and good books. And I, I have to, and, and this is not to knock anyone that we've had on the show. You know, we've had Lorelai Shellist, who was the former fiance of Def Leppard, Steve Clark. We've had Michelle Kutch, who wrote the hypothesis of giants book. We had uh, uh, William, the, the, uh, the, the, the philosopher, philosophy oh, teacher yeah, yeah. who did yep. the uh, Metallica book. Oh, I'm William sorry, Irwin. Will, I forgot your last name. Irwin, Irwin, Irwin. William Irwin. Thank you. But, um, you know, as as someone who loves his history, um, especially musical history, this is one of the best books that I've ever freaking read. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just felt really engulfed in reading it, you know, reading about one of my heroes, you know, and like, is is it a smear piece? No. Is it 
Is it a pretty picture? Is real life a pretty picture? No, it's, it's not. A, it's a realistic picture. But it's it's an honest picture. And you know what? You'll come away from it learning a lot about Eddie and possibly something about yourself. You know, what that would is, you do if you were in that situation? That is so beautiful, man. I, seriously, I'm, I'm so touched by that. I, and that is really, really nice. I mean, look, you sit down to write a book, you're, you're, you're in a room by yourself for, for 14 months, and it was hard to write. I mean, I've written other books previously. I wrote a book on Jeff Beck, um, in fact, his first biography, which came out in Japan only. Nonetheless, I wrote a book on, on, on Sabbath, Randy Rhodes, uh, Prince, Springsteen. Um, those books were done, honestly, man, three or four months, maybe. Um, um, I'm not trying to give myself a pat on the back, but it was a really difficult book to write. And, and, and you said earlier, what do I want people to come away with? Exactly what you just said. That's what I want. You know, that's, that, that is such a nice compliment and to be compared to those other writers and, and the insightful books that they wrote is, is fantastic. And um, yeah, man, that's, that's, that was, that was critical to me because at the end of the day, I'm, I've got this book and, you know, before anybody reads it, it's the greatest novel ever written, right? Before anybody ever hears your song or you're the guitar player, Lou, you're the greatest guitar player on the planet, you know? It's when you go out there and you step on the club stage and, man, they hear your song and that's when reality sets in. So, uh, yeah, so they're, I'm there with that book, you know, and I you know, get the book printed. And it goes out and you're thinking, my God, you know, did I do the right thing? You know, I... I brought everything I had to bear. I wrote, I, I wrote the best book I possibly could, but you never know. And so, yeah, man, to hear your response, obviously you're a very learned individual. You've talked to a lot of wonderful writers and musicians and insights and you know books. And so for you to say that, it tells me I, 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 I did, I did my job and I did it really well. So. You knocked out of the park, Steve. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you, man. Right. And then you mentioned how you were a guitar player in and out the book. Did you ever get to start a band? Did you ever get to do one? Oh, Wayne, you're digging would, would you into like my heart. Would you like to buy heart. any of mine? <laughs> oh, God. I need to probably take guitar lessons from Lou. You know, man, probably uh, pig-headed thinking about it. I always thought I was a better guitar player and songwriter than I was a journalist, mm -hmm. but I could never, ever, much, you know, put a band together for any length of time, much less make a living as a as a guitar player. You know, I I, I did some, played some clubs back in the day, and I write about it. Had various bands, you know, and found musicians. Um, man, that was that's just a hard, hard road. Um, you know, um, uh, again, I can believe I was a better guitar player and songwriter than I was a journalist. The reality is 50 years later, I'm still writing stories and writing books, you know, and that guitar, um, you know, guitar career ended years ago. I mean, I still play and I, my brother actually plays drums, you know, we'll jam and go, go play to somewhere. But, um, uh, no, I mean, um, let me mention one thing. Mm -hmm. I did put together uh, a project called Highway Sentinels. Um, to make a long story short, I was, I've was i been writing songs with my buddy, Jimmy Waldo. Jimmy was the- Jimmy Waldo of Alcatraz. Yes. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, and if you ever want to speak to Jimmy, he would love to talk to you guys. 
Oh, um, dude, I, yes, that would be awesome. Great. And, and, and I don't know if you know about my famous Ingve Malmsteen story about punching Ingve. No, but you better tell it. Well, or, or we could have Jimmy on the show and he could tell it. Yeah, Jimmy could tell. Jimmy was there that night. That is, that um, is Jimmy's story to tell. Exactly. So um, um, Jimmy and I have been writing songs for years. Uh, Jimmy's manager, uh, Giles Avery, um, Lavery, I'm sorry. Um, here's the songs, thinks they're really cool songs. He says, hey, man, update the songs a little bit, you know, modernize them. I can go get you a deal. Um, I know this singer, David Reese. David Reese was the singer in Accept, yep. uh, lighter version, um, really, really good singer. So to make a long story short, these songs originally had singers on them uh, when we wrote the songs back in the day, and I wrote lyrics. All the lyrics um, um, and melodies are stripped. I sort of um, updated um, uh, the songs, and I had brought in some of my buddies uh, then uh, to actually play some guitar parts. Um, uh, Pete Howland, who went on to play guitar in uh, Chicago. Um, um, uh, Harry Cody, who was in a, in, in a band called uh, Shaka Messiah. Great guitar player. Yes, um, yes. Uh, Tony um, uh, uh, Guardian, uh, a great Christian band. Tony Palacios, amazing guitar player. So I'm sort of on there back playing guitar with these guys back in the 80s. Updated to, I guess the record's been out about a year. We bring in David Reese. We send him the track. He puts on new lyrics, new vocals. Um, and then I called on some other friends, guys I'd interviewed to put on solos. So I, I reached out, oh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna reach out to Joe Satriani. I've interviewed him 15 times. He'll put a solo on. Like Joe Satriani is gonna find time to put a solo on my record. Man, he, he emailed me five minutes later, send me the track. Two weeks later, he sends back his solo. Wow. Uh, I mean, what can I say? I, I mean, reach out to Joe Satriani, Tracy Gunn, Paul Gilbert, Bumblefoot, uh, Joe Stump. Um, um, Who is now the guitarist in Alcatraz. Joe Stump exactly. is now the guitarist in Alcatraz. Exactly. Crazy. Um, unbelievable guitar player. I put on a solo, and I, I, I kiddingly, I, I wrote all these guys, guys, listen. Don't be jealous of my solo. and Don't be afraid I'm going to blow you away. But, <laughs> you know, right. So um, anyway, man, Highway Sentinels, you know, it, it's 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 a really cool project. The um, Waiting Fire. It's available on streaming media. Yeah, absolutely. I just added it. I'm going to listen to this. Very nice. So, uh, yeah, man, so that's my little claim to rock and roll fame. You know, so. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. All right. All right. I'm excited. This is so cool. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, you have to give us the uh, contact for the uh, Alcatraz thing. That'd be really cool. No, Alcatraz keyboardist. Uh, yeah, Jimmy keyboardist. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Well, Steve, thank you very much for coming on the show. I'm glad you contacted me on, on LinkedIn, something that I really never, ever go on. It just happened to go on there, and then I got your message. So I'm glad you uh, got a hold of me. That's great, man. Yeah, I look at LinkedIn. I I had an, an an account. I didn't even know I had an, an account. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, some yeah. Uh, so you man, oh, podcast, okay, you know, yeah. So figuring either they're never going to respond or there's flakes on the other end. I don't know, but yeah, man, me yeah. too. Very happy. I really appreciate your time and and the respect you show me, man. Um, no problem. It, well um, deserved. And you should try to reach out to the Dave and Dave Unchained uh, podcast. I, I actually did one way, way back in the day. 
Oh, well, I wish I'd heard it then. Okay, I got to listen to that. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, no problem. Yeah, no, this was, I think, back in the first uh, edition. And, um, yeah, those guys are great. I mean, uh, yeah, man. Yeah, the Long Island boys like Wayne and me. So, you oh, know, really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. Nope, Steve, again, thank you very much for coming on the show. And go, yeah, please go uh, order that book, uh, tonechaserbook.com. And uh, go to RedSideReview.com and also hit subscribe here on YouTube and go check out the uh, podcast version on, like we mentioned before, Pandora, because it's huge, uh, Spotify, iTunes, and uh, Amazon, anywhere else you can hear podcasts. So hit that subscribe button, give us some comments, and then uh, we'll see you here next week. And don't forget to go to SeveredAngel.com and pick up a CD, okay? That's right. uh, New album coming soon because... uh, it's been finished for over a year <laughs> and uh next week we'll be back are we doing the aussie discography Maybe we should send, we should send steve a cd i'd love to send oh, steve a cd absolutely. absolutely and then uh, he can brutalize it on the on the internet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, steve uh after we go off the air let's uh, give us your address we'll send you a copy excellent all right demoni everybody yes, see you next, next week, week. aussie just... discography thank you all right See you then. Bye-bye. Good morning.